We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, so now Ryan Roberts joins us, and it's Q and A time, Ryan. And obviously, we spent uh, we spent the first portion of today's show talking about the Notre Dame offensive line and just kind of what the standard are. So, you know, Ryan, just do you have before we kind of dive into some questions? Do you have any just some thoughts on kind of what you're looking for, what you're hoping to see from the offensive line this spring? Yeah, no, I think you made a great point. I was listening a little bit earlier and you were talking about it's it's so much promise and so much so much um so much so many high standards for what the tackles are this year that you kind of forget that both of them are just entered their true sophomore season and Blake mm-hmm. Fisher he's only played in two football games, right? So I think that spring I would expect that there's gonna be a little bit of a transitional period, right? I expect that there's gonna be a lot of kinks. I I expect there's gonna be a lot of teaching, especially in the mm-hmm. spring. So Let's mm-hmm. temper the expectations early on, in my opinion, for the offensive tackles. They're going to be a great group. I'm excited about the pairing, but let's see the. I want to see the. I want to see how much better they get from practice one until the end of right. spring, and I want to see that. I really want to see the competition inside. It stinks that Jared yeah. Patterson is going to be limited, obviously, but it's going to give opportunities for a lot of other guys to get snaps, get added, you know, reps. See, I mean. We think maybe Zeke Corral's the, the center after Jared Patterson. Maybe it's mm-hmm. an Andrew Christophic. Maybe it's a Rocco Smith. Like you have no idea where that center position is going to go. So I think it's a really interesting conversation to see, you know, the, just the competition inside and then the development of our sophomore offensive tackles for Notre Dame. It's going to be a fun spring. I'm very much looking forward to the spring. So obviously spring ball starts off on Thursday, Ryan, and then uh, Notre Dame also is going to have a lot of guys on campus this week and recruiting. So uh, just real quick, obviously for those that uh, that maybe didn't know, Cardinal Tate is, I believe, on campus now, right, at Notre Dame. So we had some yeah. intel on on him and just kind of questions about just how long he's going to stay and you know kind of where things where things stand for him. And then also, of course. Uh, was it Friday? Th- Friday is when Braylon James arrives. Saturday is when Samuel and Pemba arrives. And there's a potential new visitor. It's not completely locked in stone yet, but there's a potential new visitor 
that's going to be on campus this week. And that is Jeremiah Love, Ryan. We're going to have a story up here in a little bit. and We've got some intel on the board, but just give the people a little taste of sort of what's the latest with Jeremiah Love, the running back out of the 2023 running back slash athlete out of St. Louis. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, he has played everywhere for Christian brothers um, out there in St. Louis and he's played, he told me that he thinks he could play running back, cornerback, safety, wide receiver, if you needed him to on the next level, Notre Dame, of course, offered him as a running back, adding him to the 2023 board. And he notified me yesterday that he will be on campus. He was not sure if it would be Thursday or Friday. It's very dependent upon him and his dad are obviously taking the, taking the visit. And they are also uh, planning a trip to Missouri at some point this week mm-hmm. as well. So he will be on campus. As to when it is exactly, it's going to be Thursday or Friday. It's an interesting one. It's a really interesting one because for the, I mean, he's a relatively new recruit. And I mean, Brian, it's been a really busy <laughs> couple months mm-hmm. for him, man. I mean, he he's up to 29 reported offers now, but tw- 24 of them have come since January. So he's really starting to blow up on the trail. And he's a guy that we talked a lot about, like the usage of him, right? Because I think he only had 95 rushes last year mm-hmm. for nearly a thousand yards over 10 yards a clip you're like why is he not run- touching the ball a little more well it's because he does a lot of things for his football mm-hmm. team obviously so they had another pretty good back on that team as well exactly yeah and it's i mean so he's a really interesting long athletic kid that i mean notre dame seems interested in he seems very interested in them you know a couple inside tidbits in there but Family is definitely very fond of Notre Dame. Some coworkers around the mom is very fond of Notre Dame. So I think there's going to be a little push for him to end up with the Irish if the Irish make the make the real big push for him. So I'm excited about Jeremiah Love getting on campus, and I, I can't wait to catch up with him after the visit just to see how everything goes because it is his first time on campus. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So it's, yes, very, very interesting. And I'm very curious how the board shakes out because you also had an update on Jay Lamar, who's, a, who's probably yeah. the only other realistic running back option. Neither of us believe that Justice Haynes is going to end up in Notre Dame. If we yeah. look at guys who could play running back, I think the two are um, obviously 
We talked about Jeremiah Love, who could play other positions, but they are recruiting him as a running back right now. And then Jaden Lamar. So I know you had an update, a little bit of an update on Jaden Lamar. What is the latest with Notre Dame and Jaden Lamar? Yeah, I mean, he's been a guy that's been talked about over the last couple of ga- couple days. I think there was a future cast pick that was put in for him to end up with Notre Dame. So I wanted to obviously get be able to touch base with him because I, I hadn't actually talked to him since – think either late January or early February and at that point it was you know Lance Taylor was still a part of the part of the uh program I guess it was probably earlier in January and obviously there was a transitional period going to Dylan McCullough running back coach so I just want to check in with him see what his plans were so he has uh three official visits planned he did not want to disclose this to me because he wanted to announce all of his official visits at once during that mm-hmm. during that trip but he does have the um, he has the plan right now tentatively to be on campus for the spring game, which, man, the visitor list for that game is getting absurd, <laughs> to say the least. So getting Jaden Lamar is going to be big. He's been on campus before, but getting him to take the trip back to Notre Dame is going to be a big one, I believe. I, I am not – I mean, I'm not nearly to the point where, like, that future cast is, right? Like, I, I don't think that Notre mm-hmm. Dame is the favorite for Jaden Lamar. I think that they both like each other, absolutely, mm-hmm. but – there's just something to this one where I think that staying out West may be a more likely kind of conversation to Jaden right now. But I mean, obviously things can sway if he has a great time at the spring game, but we'll see obviously as that gets verified and that gets finalized and, you know, plane tickets are, are bought and all that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. That'll be kind of a little more realistic, but I, I think that Jaden's in a good place with Notre Dame. He really was very complimentary of Dylan McCullough and the conversations he's had with him. But anytime there's a transition from a position coach, like we saw from Taylor to McCullough, there's going to be some questions about like what's right. the next step. And I think that Jane is still very interested, but I think that there's a long way to go for Notre Dame right now. And before we dive into questions, I did want to get to this from Reese's Christ uh, says, I'm hope I'm hopping on only for a moment right now, but I'm listening in later. I would love IB nation's thoughts and prayers for my family and especially my dad, Dennis, uh, as my mom passed away yesterday. So I'm really, really terribly sorry to hear that uh, Reese's Christ. I am. Um, yeah, I, you, you. All I can say is you have our prayers. You have our thoughts, our sympathies, and our prayers. There's no question about it. And we'll keep, we'll keep Dennis, and we'll also keep you and your entire family in your prayers. And I pray that your mom, um, you know, that your mom is in a a, a better place now. So we'll, you, you, you know, everybody always knows if you come here and you need need prayer support, we always got it. And that's why we call it an IB family. So it's not just a not just a site or a, a YouTube channel. It's also a community. And so you've uh, we got your back. There's no question about it. And now the awkward tr- transition into questions, but we always want to bring those things up. David Solomon kicks things off and he says, uh, wasn't he stand, wasn't Quinn, he stands assistant O-line coach. We didn't have this problem on defense when Mike Elko left and Clark Lee was left in charge. Okay, three things. Number one, he was not, he stands assistant. He worked with the tight ends. Coach he stand wouldn't let Jeff Quinn in the offensive line room from what I'm told. And, uh, so he worked more with the off with the tight ends. He was not Harry Heastan's assistant. Number one. Number two, um, Clark Lee was a full-time position coach. Jeff Quinn was an analyst. Analysts aren't on the field coaching. Clark Lee was on the field coaching. Clark Lee also had been with Mike Elko for longer than just one year at Notre Dame. He was with him at Wake Forest. So there was obviously a longer connection there. And then three, there's a talent level. Clark Lee is a more talented football coach than Jeff Quinn. That's no disrespect to Coach Quinn. I've said a million times, I personally like Jeff Quinn, but he's not an elite football coach. Clark Lee was a very good football coach. And so all of those things are going to continue that. And also Clark Lee and Mike Elko, I think, naturally had a lot of things in common. That's why they click so well as coaches. 
And so Clark Lee wasn't running Mike Elko's defense, and then he was wishing he was running something different. They connected because I think they both had very similar philosophies on what a great defense should look like or what a defense should look like. Harry Heastan and Jeff Quinn did not have similar views on how to make an offensive line work at a high level, and that's why one was successful and the other one wasn't for many. What's well, one of many reasons why? So um, the the situations are nothing nothing alike at all. So um, it shouldn't be really a discussion beyond that. Irish Marine 51 SFMF. Thank you for your service very much, sir. I really do appreciate the true honesty from both of your standpoints. Uh, I don't want smoke and mirrors. We're all grownups here. Go Irish. You will always get the truth here. Whether you like it, whether you don't like it, whether it's good news or bad news, and we're going to be wrong sometimes, but we're always going to give you an honest opinion and an honest assessment. Uh, whether whether we're right or wrong, we'll always give you an honest assessment. And then Michael Campbell says, why are you guys here and not picking up Carnell Tate? Good afternoon, IB Nation. So, yeah, we, uh, we didn't want to commit a recruiting violation. And so that's why, Michael, we decided not to be the ones picking up Carnell Tate. Bless him and his mom are driving here, so they should be should be fine. The world-famous Scotty Nitro. Is it well-known the, the way he stand feels about Kelly? Some say there is a lot of Kelly and Reese. I know Reese lobbied for he stands return. Any word on their working relationship? I, I, I don't – when somebody says there's a lot of Kelly and Reese, that's referring to their football personalities. Uh, Harry he stands problem with Brian Kelly, from what I'm told, wasn't because they didn't – wasn't necessarily because they didn't see eye-to-eye football-wise. It's they didn't see eye-to-eye personally. Tommy Reese is not Brian Kelly's puppet. He doesn't walk around acting like Brian Kelly. He's been influenced by Brian Kelly as a football coach. And I think those are things that there's been some concerns about. Although I think Tommy Reese's comments after he decided not to go with Brian Kelly for more money uh, says that Tommy was looking for a, a start to kind of be his own guy, which I think is important. But this notion that, that, he there's a lot of Kelly and Reese football wise, maybe, but not personally. I think that was the mm-hmm. bigger issue. But you got to remember Tommy Reese's relationship with Harry. He is very much different than, than Brian Kelly's relationship. Tommy had a longer relationship with Harry. He as a player coach than he did as a pr- colleagues. They were colleagues for a year. That was it. One year, 2017. Uh, Harry. He was Tommy Reese's offensive line coach for two seasons the year that Tommy Reese only got sacked eight times an entire season was with Harry Heastan coaching offensive line. So if I, if that was me, I'd love the guy, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I only got sacked eight times and I don't even know if all those sacks were of Tommy. Cause I think Andrew Hendricks got sacked once or twice uh, in the USC, USC game when Tommy got hurt. Uh, I'd have to go back and look that up. But so that relationship began then. So just from the beginning, the foundation of their relationship came at a whole different level. And there's a great deal of respect. Coach Reese mentioned in the in the interview, the the interview as far as when they announced the new coaches, uh, him and Coach Eastan had stayed in contact bef- even before they coached together in 2017. Like when Tommy got done being a player in 13, that kind of three-year stretch in between 14, 15, and 16, they stayed in contact. I think he said, Ryan, what was it like? They, they did talk at least once a month during that period of time. Yeah, so, like that. The, yeah, there's clearly a strong connection there. And, and I don't think that um, – I don't think it'd be fair, in my opinion, to say Tommy is like Reese personally in the ways that Coach Eastan and Kelly didn't get along. That was um, that was quite different. Here's one, Ryan. Florida Irish says, buy or sell. The Notre Dame offensive line will dominate a weaker Ohio State defensive line. 
but be more up and down for most of the first half of the season until hitting its stride in November. Buy or sell on, I, I guess that's kind of two things together, but yeah. yeah, let's take that entire premise. I know I, where I'm going I'm with not, that one. I, I might, I think I'm going to buy that one actually, because I'm just thinking about it. I mean, Ohio state has Zach Harrison coming back. Who's a little bit of an overrated football player at defensive end to begin with. And they are, I mean, they lost, they lost um, Haskell Garrett inside. They lost Tyreek Smith. So they're going to be breaking in a lot of new guys into this rotation. And I know like Teron Vincent, I think is coming back from Ohio state. Who's was a big recruit, but hasn't done a ton at Ohio state. So I think there's going to be a lot of new faces on that defensive line. So I actually do think that Notre Dame has probably the upper hand, definitely on a talent level, especially early on. So I'll buy that. They have a really nice show against Ohio state. And then maybe, you know, settles in into you know a little more up and down play until they really hit their stride mid-season. I think that's kind of where I'm lying on that one. I'm selling because while I while I think that Notre Dame can beat Ohio State up front, I don't think that they're going to dominate Ohio State. I don't think Ohio State is also a weak defensive off defensive line. And and I think number one, they're going to play in a system that is more dependent upon them making plays, which I think should help. How much of that they're going to be able to do by game one, I don't know. Zach Harrison is overrated, but he still has talent. And, and you, you know, Talik Williams comes back. They've got uh, JT Tui Maloa coming back. He was a five-star kid as a freshman last year that didn't enroll in Ohio, at Ohio State till super late, didn't go mm-hmm. through spring. I always felt he was also an overrated player in that people thought he was like a top-five national player, but he's still pretty good. There's good players there. There's just not elite players. So I don't think they're weak. I think you could make the case that they're a t- tad overrated from a talent standpoint, but I wouldn't call them weak. Uh, that I just, I wouldn't quite go there. I think the system sucked to be completely honest yeah. with you. And I think that masked because we've made that case about Notre Dame players. Like, Hey, those guys are better than that. But here's the thing. Ohio state's defensive line wasn't good last year. Who was worse last year, Ryan, Ohio state's D line or Notre Dame's offensive line. It's fair. It's a fair point. Offensive line. That's a fair point. Right. Yeah. Right. So mm-hmm. uh, coaching can impact those type of things. Uh, yeah. As far as being up and down, I think we'll see some of that the first month. I think we'll see some of that yeah. through the bye week. I think we'll start to see them hit their stride coming out of the bye week when they go play BYU. I think. I think the combination of four games plus the bye and then the emotional challenge of playing BYU because I think. BYU for a well-coached team is a team that you're going to watch film and say, and Harry, he's saying, remember Harry, he's and Tommy Reese have played and coached against BYU before they twice in 12 and 13 and both games were battles. So they're going to know these kids, look guys, you're 19, you're facing a dude that's 25, right? It's a bit stereotypical, but that's, that's in some cases, that's true. These guys are going to come at you. They're going to battle. They're going to play hard. They're going to be fundamentally sound. You better – it's a lunch pail game. I think mm-hmm. that challenge, that mental challenge that they're going to have to reach up to is then going to be the thing that I think springboards them into success for the rest yeah. of the year. So I do think we'll see some of that. I think the bye week is really set up perfectly for this offensive line. You have the big test at the beginning, and then if we're being honest, you have three sort of get-right games, right, mm-hmm. against Marshall, Cal, and then – North Carolina. You're not going to be facing elite talent. North Carolina's going to have some some young talented kids, but they're just not a great defense. And I know they got a new defensive coordinator, but it, a lot of it was I thought their defensive coordinator was awful. But he wasn't the only problem. He was the main sure. problem. He wasn't the only problem. 
so I think they got three get right games where they'll have some up and downs, but they'll still be able to do enough to where you're like, okay, this once this once the light goes on, these guys gonna be really good. So I'm mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna sell that one. I'm gonna sell that three, one. Three three certainties for BYU. They're gonna be mature, they're gonna be physical, and there's gonna be a Kafusi playing on defense. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> this is very, very true. Very true. Rob Compton says, do you see any scenario where Baker plays right tackle and Blake plays Tosh Baker plays right tackle and Blake Fisher plays guard? Not not Blake Fisher, Tosh Baker, like in a perfect world where Tosh Baker maximizes his potential. I could see that. I just don't think it's going to happen. Could I see a scenario, Ryan? Yes. Would I predict Mm -hmm. that scenario right now? No, no, I'm not going there. I mean, I don't think we've seen. I don't think we've seen anything out of the first two years, and I know that the deck was stacked against him from mm-hmm. for Tasha's perspective. But I don't think we've seen anything that would indicate that he's going to take that massive leap. I think I do think in the ideal scenario, Tosh Baker plays to his potential, and he's one of the best five, and he forces the hands right. But I, I don't think that you can. You definitely can't predict that right now because it's just not. Right something you've seen enough of to be confident in that you've seen Blake play well at right tackle, although in, in limited amount of time, you've seen Joel play well at tackle. And, and although in a limited amount of time, you've seen Jared Patterson be good. Like those are the certainties on the offensive line this year. Tosh Baker is a big wild card, but mm-hmm. it's hard to bet on a wild card sometimes. Right. Agree. Chris Ayers asks tough question here. Joe Moore or Harry Heastan? I mean, I'm not trying to be disrespectful here, but Joe Moore's passed away. I mean, I mean, so for like, I mean, so like obviously right now he's passed away. I think the question is more of who's in their prime. Look, I I don't know the Joe Moore that coached and won a title at Pitt. I I, I wasn't even born. I think I might, maybe I was a year old. No, when did they win the title? Was it 76? They won the title. I wasn't even born yet. 70s. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Joe Moore was a great coach. But I mean, you talk to anybody from that era, Joe Moore was a a really great coach, but Joe Moore also wasn't – he didn't recruit anybody. I mean, Vinny Serrato did all the recruiting, from what I'm told. So, I mean, you know, I I have no frame of reference other than – I mean, uh, when he was at Notre Dame, I was in middle school and high school, right? I have have not not even actually. I think he was pretty much gone by the time I basically got to high school or at least was like on the downside of his career. So – when when they were really good, he I was eight to I was like ten to twelve years old, so I, I really have no frame of reference. So just knowledge, I'd go with Harry Heastan just because I know Harry Heastan, know what he's done. I only know Joe Moore from reputation. Say, well, he's got an award named after him. Well, yeah, because he hasn't been. I mean, how many guys get awards named after him while they're still coaching? It doesn't happen very often, you know. Exactly. But yeah. Joe Moore was a legend. I mean, he won a title at Pitt. He won a title at Notre Dame. He was considered a great developer of talent. Um, you know. Harry Heastan doesn't have that first part. He's developed some great players, doesn't have a title. So if you're going to just look at resumes, I mean, you know, you go, with, you go with, I think you'd have to go with Joe Moore. But mm-hmm. of who I know, I'd have to go with Harry Heastan. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, Ryan. I mean, I think we talked about it before, and I'm in the same boat. It's like I, I never saw Joe Moore coach live, you know, in my lifetime. So I, I mean, you would almost have to defer in that sense to Harry mm-hmm. Easton because he's a known commodity to you. But ultimately, I am going to defer to Joe Moore just for the simple fact that the most outstanding offensive line coaches, right. you know, and, and the award is named after Joe Moore. Right. So and he's got two I'm titles. Gonna, I mean, that that exactly. can't be dismissed. He's coached on two offensive lines, and I believe he was the offensive line coach when Tony Dorsett had just a monster season at Pitt. And he put plenty. I mean, I think he, he coached Bill Fralick, right? Or no, it wasn't Bill Fralick. Uh, uh, Jimbo Cobert, 
I know Jimbo he coached Covert. Jimbo Covert at, you know, yeah. on, on those lines. So, you know, again, I just, I have no frame of reference other than just what's on his paper resume, right? Like I know of the reputation and all those type of things, but I mean, resume, Joe Moore gets the honor of what I know, who I know, Harry Easton, you know, would be the guy that I would go with. So I hope that, 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 that makes sense. Irish Marine 51 asks, what do you rate this offensive line as of now? When do you possibly think Notre Dame could run run for the natty? Thanks, guys. So, Ryan, we'll take that. It's two kind of distinctly different questions. Let's go with the first one. Where do you rate the Notre Dame offensive line now? So let's go like a, a scale of 1 to 10. Last year's line being a 3, I believe is what you said the other day, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. The 2017 line being a, let's say, 9, mm-hmm. right? And then 10 being, I mean, I'd have to think of, you know, like what 10 would be just like the greatest offensive line ever right yeah. so where where do you rate this line now and where and i'm going to add an on to it he says as of now i'm going to add a second piece to it ryan where do you think the line is going to be by the end of the year sure yeah well i think there's just natural progression right so i would probably say probably a five i mean talent level wise i think you could argue they're even higher than that maybe like a six mm-hmm. or seven just to start out and i mean projection wise I think they could be in the seven conversation. You know, I think that they can be one of the five to 10 best offensive lines in, in college football when the season ends. Mm-hmm. I think that that progression is very possible. So the talent level is there. It's going to be about prog- progression. I think right now you, you stay somewhere around a five. It's kind of like a neutral position to begin with. And you hope that the talent is developed properly. And you would assume that it would be. Mm-hmm. I'm going six right now. The reason I say that is talent plus you have a line coach with a proven track record. I mean, this is the thing we talked about at the beginning, Ryan, and you didn't get a chance to comment on it. You were watching but not here is Harry Heastan. There's three potential versions of Harry Heastan I think realistically we're going to get, right? A new and improved version who's, you know, his kids are out of the house now. He's gotten He's had time to rest. He's fired up, and he's going to be even a better version of himself. The same dude that he was before. Just per, Those two options are pretty good. Or a guy that's not quite to the standard he was before, but is still, I mean, Harry Heastand at 90% of his former self is still a really good offensive line coach. That's still a top 15 offensive line coach, right? Which is better than what Notre Dame had. So the combination of experience, you have eight guys with at least two starts coming back. The combination of talent, I think we all agree that this is a, a line with a lot of talent. And the fact that there is a jump in, in coaching, immediately just minimum, to me, puts the floor at six. Which is that of a good, solid offensive line. Now, can they be better than that? That remains to be seen. I think by the end of the year, I think they can. And, and uh, I think we've been asked this question before, and I've, I've kind of, you know, I don't remember what my answer was before, but right now, probably eight would be my guess for where it could be this year. I don't I, think, I think this line said, is going to be as good as. I think you said seven or eight before. Seven, seven or eight. Or yeah. Eight. I don't, yeah. I don't think it's, I don't expect it to get to the level it was in 2017. I don't think it's going to, and I, I think the, the dis- discussion would be too, it'd be interesting is which line was better? The 15 line or the 17 line, you know, and I think that's where we can have a fun conversation because you could say, well, the run blocking in the 17 line was better. The pass blocking in the 2015 line was better, you know, and, and so it'd be a fun conversation to have, but uh, you know, I, I don't think it like those two, to me, those two years were nines for me, Ryan, they were nines. I don't know if that this unit's capable of getting there now, maybe when Joe and Blake and those guys are juniors, maybe, but that's that's quite a high standard. I think eight's probably the ceiling for this group in twenty twenty two. What what are your what are your thoughts on the ceiling? I know we like I said, I think we discussed this a week yeah. ago. What is your what is your thoughts on the ceiling for that? 
I'm relatively in the same ballpark. I think the last time we were asked this, I said a seven. I, I could get to an eight, potentially, because I think that the the ceiling at the tackle positions is really incredible. Obviously, right? And I think that that's obviously the most two important. That's the most important positions to make sure that you have locked down on the offensive offensive tackle. Like you need to figure that out, especially left tackle. So, I think the there's a baseline with guys like Jared Patterson and some experience coming back, like Kristoffic and the two tackles. But I also think the ceiling is incredibly high for this group. And mm-hmm. I mean, Jared Patterson's the guy that is like the very known commodity, but even his game could get considerably yes. better. Like he could yes. be, a, he can go from a very good, potent, you know, borderline all American type player to a first round draft pick. Like that is very possible for a guy mm-hmm. like Jared Patterson. So I think the ceiling is incredibly high. I, I wouldn't go Joe Moore finalist this year, but I do think that the ceiling is they substantial. Be, they should be a legit semifinalist this year. That's top yeah, 10, right? right? Like they should be there. Are they going to be good enough to be finalists? They have a shot. It's just, I'm not, let me see him get through the spring first before I say yes. Because, like you said, there's still our who's going to play guard. Like, I mean, who who's going to be here? Who's going who's going to make this jump, that jump, the other thing? So, uh, definitely, the expectation is the floor for me at this group is they should be a, a Joe Moore Award semifinals, not and not like they were in was it 2019 or 20 2019? I think they were semifinalists, and it was on reputation alone. It was not a semifinal playing line. When I say semifinals, I mean legitimate. Like, I don't care if they get named or not; they could get named just because Harry he stands there. And uh, guys that are voting for it, like Harry Heastan. I'm talking about they, they've earned being a semifinalist, meaning you're a top 10 offensive line. That should be the floor for this group. Now, can they be top five? That's the bigger question for me. And so I think that's that's what where I would where I would go with that one, just in my opinion. Irish Marine 51 says, Brian and Vince and Ryan will, will let you replace Vince here. What do you think the difference is going to be with Notre Dame offense and defense this year? So let's say what's the one thing that is going to be the biggest difference between on offense and on defense this season for you, Ryan? Um, I, I think, th- I mean, I think there's just a little more known commodity defensively, right? Like you're going to be depending on guys offensively. I mean, we just mentioned the two tackles. You're a first year starting quarterback, obviously in Tyler Buckner in theory, you're running backs that are going to now have to take on a larger workload. You are expecting Lorenzo styles and a couple younger guys to take that next step forward. I mean, there's really, I mean, you have Jared Patterson, I said, is a known commodity, even though I think he could get better. You have Michael Mayer, who's a known commodity, but I think defensively, like, you know, what you're going to get out of Isaiah Foskey and maybe even more, you know, what you're going to get out of Jason Amalola, you know, what you're going to get out of Cam Hart. I think that there's just a little more understanding of exactly what the floor is for the defense. If that makes, it makes sense comparative to the offense. And I, I just think that it's a little more of a known commodity. So I think the experience factor goes to the defense, at least at the beginning of the year at, at, at worst. I think for me, the biggest difference we're going to see on offense this year, I think is going to be, I expect this unit to be a little bit more of a big play group. I think that's the big difference for me. I think we're going to see more big plays. And I think it's just, I think the offensive line is going to be part of that. We're going to see bigger holes or more well-blocked runs. But I think when you just look around the, the, the makeup of the, of the, of the offense, you've got Michael Mayer, who's, you know, one of the three best tight ends in college football. I think Braden Lindsay is a guy that's got big playability. It's about just finding ways to get him going. Lorenzo Styles, I mean, you know, we're we're both thinking he's going to have a, a a really he's going to be a really good player. We've seen Avery Davis capable of making those big plays, right? And including in some big games. And you know, we, we think Chris Tyree obviously can be that guy. I mean, I just and then of course, if Tyler Buckner wins a starting quarterback job, you're going to have a quarterback that can just 
rip off a 60 yard run and you beat you over the top with the, with the rows. So I think it's going to be more explosive offense, whether it's going to be more efficient, it's going to determine whether the points stay the same or whether you're going to see a jump defensively. I think the biggest thing is we're going to see a lot more plays out of the linebackers this year. I think that's something that's going to be different. And I think it's, I don't know if I would say that's definitely something that I'm guaranteeing or I'm wishing for, but that's definitely needed. I think the linebacking core has to make more plays. If you look at the tackle for loss and sack numbers at linebacker and pass breakup numbers at, from like 2020 and compare it to where they were in 2019 or 2021, I mean, it's a big difference. Like not nearly as productive at linebacker. You got Maris Lulafau back. We had an update on him and our, our defensive intel feature today at Irish Breakdown on, on the premium message board only is where it can be found. And, you know, you th- – we think J.D. Bertrand is going to move inside where he's going to be more comfortable. you got Prince Kali emerging. You've got the freshman. I think we're definitely going to see, and now you're going into year two of a defense that's going to be similar to what you ran last year. I think, I think there you're going to see, you're going to see a jump in production there. And I think that's, that's a key, right? Cause you talk about, there's a lot of known commodities. That's the one unknown commodity. in in my opinion is, is going to be linebacker because you, there's no more Drew White. Right. Maris Lufau. We think he can be this, but we don't know yet. We haven't seen him do it over you know, a period of time. And so, you know, that that to me is is the big question mark. And if the if the linebacking core can make that jump and all those other things that Ryan said are true, then I think that's where you start to say, hey, this this group's got a chance to be this group's got a chance to be really good. Let's get to some more questions. Uh, Irish Marine also asks, will Coach Freeman play two quarterbacks this year? I think it depends on who wins the starting job. Uh, if Drew Pine wins the starting job, then you're going to see two quarterbacks because you're going to see exactly what you saw last year. You're going to see the starter do one thing, and then you're going to see the guy come in off the bench. You know, Tyler Buck to be the guy that comes off the bench and provides the running and the big plays and those type of things. If Tyler Buckner's the starting quarterback, I don't think you're going to see a second quarterback. And the reason I say that is, the reason that you bring Tyler Buckner in off the bench as the number two quarterback is because he brings a completely different element that you don't have with the other quarterbacks. And that is his running ability. So there's just, there's an, there's an, there's a a talent there that you can, you can tap into that you don't. If Tyler Buckner's a starting quarterback, there's really nothing that, that Drew Pine or Steve Angeli do that are going to cause you to say, here's why you got to play a second quarterback. So that's my thing, Ryan. So my, my answer to this question, Ryan, was mm-hmm. is depends on who starts. If Drew Pine starts, we'll see two quarterbacks. If right. Tyler Buckner starts, the only time we'll see a second quarterback is either end-of-game mop-ups or if somebody goes down, it would be my prediction. Yeah, I mean, I think the scenario that everybody's kind of expecting is that Tyler Buckner started quarterback. If that's the, the case, I don't think that you'll see much of Drew Pine. So I, I do believe that that is – I mean, obviously outside of an injury or inconsistent play, but like, you know, being an optimist, let's hope that Tyler Buckner takes the job and doesn't get unseated at any point. The other way is, like you said, if Drew Pines is starting quarterback, wins the starting job, Notre Dame has to utilize the talent mm-hmm. of Tyler Buckner. Like you're not going to leave him on the bench. Like, that doesn't make any sense. He's one of your best athletes on the on the team in general. Right. So I agree. If if there, there one scenario where there could potentially be some quarterback, you know, shared reps but i do believe that in the ideal situation tyler buckner takes the starting job and he doesn't get unseated because i don't think that 
Drew Pine brings a dynamic element as an athlete, obviously, that you're going to take him out of the game. Like you, you're sacrificing athleticism in that, in that perspective. Mm-hmm. And then along those lines, Irish Mean also asked, who do you think will win the who will who will win the card the, the quarterback starting job? What are your thoughts? I think we're Tyler both on the same page there, Ryan. Yeah, I think we <laughs> yeah. both think it'll be Tyler Buckner. I'm not I'm not betting against Drew Pine at anything. It's just there's sure. a there's a talent gap there. I mean, there just is. Mm-hmm. But um I Drew Drew Pine strikes me as the kind of kid that just takes a lot of joy in making people look stupid, right? Like, yeah, okay, yeah, I'm sure Tyler Buckner got it. Okay, let, wait till you see what I got for you. I mean, just the kind of kid he is, but I mean, look, I, I'm sorry. I love, I love Tyler. Great family. Mm-hmm. He's just not as talented as uh, he's just drew. I'm talking about, I just, he's just, Drew's got a great family. Drew's a great kid. I don't know Tyler Buckner's family. Uh, I don't really know Tyler, but, but I, I know Drew and his family and they're awesome people. And mm-hmm. Drew has a, is, is, I think is the kind of kid that could ha- make a career out of just make, making doubters look stupid. Sure. But at the end of the day, I, I have to look at the talent level and, Tyler Buckner's incredibly gifted in ways that Drew Pine just isn't. And I don't think that can be discounted. And and it's why I think he's going to win the job and, and, and be really good. And if he gets hurt, I have full confidence. Drew Pine is going to be able to come off the t- bench and rally the team and win you a lot of football games. But if yeah. they're both healthy, I just, I have a hard time seeing Tyler Buckner not winning that job. He's not going to be given the job. That's one thing I can say for certain. I'm talking to different people. Like if Tyler Buckner wins the starting job, he's going to earn it. It's not a situation where if he goes out there and plays bad every day, they're going to keep trotting him out there because they hope he wins it. If Drew Pine outplays him, Drew Pine's going to start. It's as simple as that. But I think the expectation is is that, look, Tyler's just – everybody sees it, right? Players see it. Coaches see it. The quarterbacks see it. Tyler Buckner's got special talent. It's just about can he play that way. There's a difference between having great talent and being a great player. As you, as Ryan, sure. you know, you've seen it doing draft stuff. You see all the time, you're like, how is this kid not a dominant football player? I know you watch film every year, and you're like, this kid is big, he's strong, he's athletic, he's terrible. You know, Playing just, Playing <laughs> That's it, there, you That's it. there you go. There you go. Brian, um, I, I, would lo- I would love to put a little more context in this one by actually pulling up a yeah. different question. Quinn Kibler mm-hmm. said, do you think that people are dismissing what kind of player Buckner can be, not so much because of his performance or because there is a new shiny toy out there in Dante Moore? I think both have merit. I was actually going to bring this up, Quinn, so I appreciate you popping this in, right? Everybody is so excited about the potential of Notre Dame landing Dante Moore, who is five-star, incredible player. We think that he could be the next, you know, we think that he could kind of change the narrative around the quarterback position in Notre Dame and change mm-hmm. a lot of narratives just in general about the program. But I believe that Tyler Buckner is that same type of player if he hits his ceiling. I really do. I think that he could be a program changer and a difference maker. So, yes, I think that people are discounting how talented Tyler Buckner is a little bit because they just want the next, you know, the next shiny toy. So right. I agree with that. I agree with that that comments, and I just wanted to pop that up because I really do think that people are underselling just how talented Tyler Buckner is. So I, I wrote an article not long ago where I talked about it's going to be Buckner and Dante Moore and Tommy Reese that combine to to change the narrative of quarterback play. Because to to your point, yes, I'm excited about Dante Moore, and I think Dante Moore is a phenomenal quarterback. But to your point. Tyler Buckner's the quarterback the next two years, at least, you know what I mean? And, and they need him to step up and play. I, I think the dismissal, I think people dismissing Tyler Buckner has more to do with what he did, how he was used this year and, and people setting unrealistic expectations for what he was going to do and people assuming that 
well, he was used this way, so clearly that's the only thing that that's the only thing he can do well. And I think that's incredibly misguided. I mean, I have people tell me this. Tyler Buckner did what he did last year because he was too good not to play. And that's that that's how that's how you need to view last season. Tyler only got on the field for one reason, one reason only. He was too good not to play. He's too dynamic to your point if if Drew won the job, he was too dynamic of a player to not find a role for. That's a good sign. And and they had to they had to get that going. I, I think the fact that you know he didn't look like this or that. I think people people got too excited about a spring performance, and we tried to we tried to tamp down those expectations. And then I think people assume that because he did this in the in, in the time he played that that's who he is. And, and I don't think that's right. I, I think so. I think that also factors. And now because like to your, to the point, Ryan is even if Dante Moore wasn't leaning towards Notre Dame, or we didn't think Notre Dame was going to get Dante Moore, I still think a lot of those same people would be would be down on Tyler Buckner. I just think they'd be down in general. They'd just be down like Tyler Buckner's not the guy, and I don't know who that guy is. Now those people are just like Tyler Buckner's not the guy, but Dante Moore will be. And I think I think that's misguided because I think both of them have a chance to be great players, just like Deshaun Watson and 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 uh, Trevor Lawrence, just like. You know Tua and Mac Jones, and then Bryce Young, right? Like that's that's where you want to be as a program. And so uh, I, I do think I think a lot of people are discounting Tyler Buckner, and I think that's going to look like not a good idea. Silly. Like it's it's gonna it's and it's not going to take like all year. I think right. you're going to know by the end of September. Like yeah, I probably shouldn't have written that kid off. He's really good. He's a really good player. We'll, we'll see. Well, I mean that's the thing I love about though Ryan is. We're gonna find out. <laughs> you know what I mean? One way or the other, we're gonna find out. And well, there's three ways. One, he just gets beat out, and then he's clearly not the guy we thought he was. Two is he starts and but doesn't play well. And then three is we're right. And he starts and he's really good and and uh gets them where they needed to get to. Benjamin Karchi, this is gonna be about the offensive line, Ryan. We'll give you a chance to answer this since we talked about it before. What impact or improvement would you like to see at the end of spring ball? And we'll go for in regards to the offensive line. Yeah, no, I, I think just more added reps for young guys, right? Like there's just going to be – I think there's going to be improvements over the across the board just in general. I would usually say the biggest thing for spring is, is trying to find who that starting five is, right? I mean, not as much because you're going to go into the fall and you're going to start the competition back over again to a degree. But it's nice to just start to get offensive lines in sync because it's so dependent on, upon one another. Like it really is like a, mach, a well-oiled machine, right? But unfortunately, Jared Patterson is not going to be there in the spring. So your starting center is not going to be a part of the equation in the spring. So I want to see the young players and I want to see where they met, where they fit in. I know you were talking about Michael Carmody. Is he a tackle? Is he going to fit inside a guard? Mm -hmm. Is he corral? Is he going to get some reps at guard? Or are you going to focus with them exclusively at center? Who's going to be the guy that's going to get some center reps additionally outside of like maybe like a Pat Coogan? Uh, since Jared Patterson's not available. So I think there's a lot of young guys that we're going to see really take a massive step, even the sophomores that, again, we're excited about an offensive tackle, seeing that that maturation of them just individually as players. And then when we get into fall ball, I want to see them now, like, let's start to really mesh as that unit because the just the timing and the cohesion of that of the five up front is just so important. But unfortunately, without, without Patterson, it's not going to be a perfect situation, but I think it is going to offer a lot of opportunity in this uh, mm-hmm. spring ball. Chris Ayers says, so might Lug be the better swing guy if he isn't the clear winner? Same take on Spindler. I think if if Josh Lug is still the better player, you don't you don't like you don't take him out of the starting lineup so he can be a swing guy. If he's one of your best five, you start him. 
to your point, however, if he's not the starter, he brings great value as a swing guy. So I don't think he's better as a swing guy per se. I think if he's one of the five best, you start him. I think what a guy like Josh Lugs gives you the ability to do is he can move around and say, hey, look, you know, let's just say one of the young tackles is really struggling and he's just not figuring it out. You can always bump Josh back out there and move that guy to guard. And, or if somebody gets hurt, you know, if, if a tackle gets hurt and you don't have a lot of – there's a big gap between your third tackle and your your next guard, then you can maybe say, look, let's put one of the guards in and we can bump Josh out to right tackle or something like that. I mean, there's always things that you can do with a guy like him, but if he's one of your best five, you're going to start him. And I don't really view Rocco as a swing guy. I think Rocco is an interior player. So you could be a swing guy from the standpoint of right or left guard or maybe even center. But right now, all we know that Rocco can play is guard. We don't know that he can play center, and, and he's not a tackle. So I don't view him as a as a swing guy. Yeah. Well, Robert, I think in that, go ahead. In, sorry, I was just going to say, in that situation, you are saying, though, that you know if he's not the clear winner, I, I would always defer to the younger player, right? Because there's just a little more upside. And I think that Josh does give you that swing ability potentially – because he has played tackle, he has played at guard, and I, I think that that does kind of improve depth at a couple different spots. But So are you I mean, saying that if he's not the clear winner, so like he's better but not by much, you're saying you go with the younger no, player? No, I'm thinking of if they're on the same level, I'm deferring to the younger yeah. player. If he's, a, if he's a slight winner, then he wins, right? But right. I, it, it, with how it's worded, I'm assuming that they're just like neck and neck. They're the same type right. of guy. You know All I things mean? being equal, I, I would I would say, yeah, I would go with you because there's two things. Number one, it's not just the younger guy, but all things being equal, I'm not putting the guy in there that's got injury problems, injury history for, for me. Uh, the other argument is if all things are being equal, go with the experience because you're trying to win now. So there's all types of different ways. Where do you view your football team? Do you view your football team as one capable of competing for a championship? If you do, then you play the guy that gives you a best chance to win today. And then what tends to happen is, what I would do in that case, I would say, okay, Josh is going to start because he's got the experience. I'm not sending a, a brand new kid that we don't know we can do into Columbus. What I will do, however, say, look, Josh, if, if all things are equal, I'm starting Josh, but this kid's going to play. And then eventually you give that kid a chance to say, okay, I'm the better player, and you start him. If you think you're a team that's capable of winning a championship now. If you're a team that says, hey, I think we can be really good, but 2023 is our year, then I, you go with the younger guy. So I just think there's so many factors that go into it. But to your point, Ryan, if all things are equal, do you value experience more than youth? Do you do you value uh, potential versus experience? Right? Mm -hmm. Do you value do you do you take into account injury history or not? That's one of the challenges of being a football coach is you have to determine which factors for this particular football team are going to matter most. Some years it's going to be a different answer. And I think that's going to be the interesting thing. And then the other thing, too, is how close – if it's just about the younger player is the better player, but he just doesn't have the experience, then I think you have to kind of err on the side of the the, the more talented player if he's shown you enough that he can get that guy. So it, it it's it's one of the, the fun things about being a coach, Ryan, is those type of – those type of battles and those type of decisions. I know you've been there too, you know, coaching, coaching in high school. It's, it's, it's kind of what makes it fun, but uh, I, I think it just depends on how, how good they think this team can be. And I think the answer may be different going into Columbus than it could be coming home the next week playing against Cal, especially depending <laughs> on how the veteran guy does, you know what I mean? But honestly, if it was that close, I think you got to play both of them. I, 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 that that would be my thing. I think you got to play both of them. If it's that close, if they're neck and neck, play both of them. Robert Didoff says, Brian and Ryan, sorry if this has been mentioned before, but will there be an IB tailgate for the spring game? My buddy Chris and I bought our sideline tickets today, Go Irish. Yes, there will be 
That's it. Now the game's going to be at one o'clock. Uh, so we won't be tailgating for super long, but yes, I'll be there. Vince won't be there. Ryan, I don't think you guys have plans to come in town for the spring game. Correct. Uh, so it's a little, little harder for Ryan to travel cause he's got a, he's got a one-year-old at home. So, uh, I don't think anyone wants to, you know, jump on a plane with a one-year-old. At least I wouldn't want to. Absolutely. But not. Uh, Absolutely. I'll be there. Sean will be there, and uh, Sean will be covering the game in the press box. I'll be on the field because um, I can pay for a ticket and sit right behind the players, but I, for safety reasons, I can't be way up in the press box. So it makes total sense. Uh, so I, I, I bought a ticket today. I'll be there with my wife. We'll be relaxing, having fun, and letting you guys do all the work. So that'll. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan's like, yeah, that's nothing new. All right, Michael Rudiker, uh, what percentage do you want the line to be as far as finished product by the end of the spring? I mean, you always want it to be at 100, right? It's just not realistic. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I say a number like is – I don't really – Michael, I don't really look at it like that. I just – like I want to end the spring better than where we were when we started. I think that's really healthy and where we were when we started. That would be my goal as a coach. Better than where we were when we started. That's fair. I, I'd say 80% because we'll, we should find out who four of the five stars are because Jared Patterson mm-hmm. won't, be, won't be participating. So I'll say 80% just for you, Michael. Here's one for you, uh, Ryan. This is for you. What is your pro comp for Blake Fisher and Joe Alt? Hmm. That's, a, that's a good one. Um, Joe Alt strikes me as like a Ryan Ramchek that came out of Wisconsin. You remember him? He's actually a really good offensive mm-hmm. tackle now for the New Orleans Saints. And I mean, he's got the, the length and he's got the size to him. But I just think that the what really stands out about Ryan Ramchek is that I think he's just so consistently technical, right? And I think that that's going to be Joe Alt's upside too. Even though I think Joe Alt might be just a better athlete than Ramchek in general. But I think that, that he just kind of strikes me as he's going to last an offensive tackle because he's just a technically sound kid with length and he's a plus athlete. Right. And I think that that's kind of looks at that. Blake Fisher's an interesting one because his body type is a little, I don't want to say odd, but it's different for offensive tackles, right? Like usually they're a little more high cut, a little more slender. I mean, Blake is just a massive dude. Right. And it's good weight. So it's not, but he's just like a physically daunting player. So I'm thinking like, I mean, I'm going to go a little more old school in this one. I'm gonna say like Eric Williams that used to play with the, Dallas Cowboys, right? He used to beat people up. He probably could have, he definitely could have played guard if he wanted to as well. Like he was a road grading presence and he was a thick dude that could have played guard, could have played tackle. So I'll go the physical dominating nature of Eric Williams. Of course, I'm not predicting that Blake Fisher is going to be Eric Williams because he was a great player. I'm not predicting that Joel is going to be a first round draft pick and one of the best offensive tackles in the NFL, Ryan Ramchek. But stylistically speaking, I think there's some merit to the comparisons. Here's a good one for you, Ryan. From Paul, do you prefer Jeremiah Love or Jade Lamar? Long term, I would say Love, just because I think the upside is higher because he's just such an athletic kid. I mean, he's mm-hmm. 6'1", and I think he's going to be an easy 210, 215, maybe even 220. Like, he's got that type of frame to him. And I just think that the upside of the, as far as, like, I think they're both fast, but – Love is a 10, 700 meter guy as a sophomore. So like he can run, mm-hmm. man. Like he can really fly. Jaden Lamar just went to the, to, um, I forget what the combines call that he went to, but he ran four, five, three lasered. So like he's, he's got, and that was too. supposedly the fastest time of anybody there. Yeah, so, it was that's, just, so he, that's moving pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I, I talked to him yesterday, and it's going to be in the update. So that was the fastest time this year, and it was the second fastest time that they recorded at the event behind Malik Brown, who came out of Modern Day last year and is going to right. USC. They're running back. Yeah, he can so, move. 
Yes. Yeah. yeah. So they both move. I think that Lamar gives you a better baseline because I just think he's a little more, I think he's a little more prepared because I just think he's played mm-hmm. a little bit more. More natural running back. Yeah, yeah he's more a more natural, natural running, running back. back. Exactly. The, for, the, the 40 times surprised me because that doesn't show on film to me. Like that kind of speed doesn't show on film to me. And that's what one of the reasons I say. Part of the reason I'm not super high on Lamar is because of that right there. Without seeing that speed, to me, he's not a whole lot different than Cedric Irvin. I think he's a little bit better than Cedric Irvin, but not by much. I'm not taking two guys that are that similar as players and style and all that type of stuff. That's my issue. But if he's legit that fast, then that changes things a little bit. But I got to see it show up on film, right? Because track speed doesn't always translate to football speed. And that that's kind of my thing. Whereas Jeremiah Love, not only we know he's explosive, not just from his track times, but on the field. You see it on the field. He's also a better complement to me than Cedric Irvin. And that's important for me when you're running back is I like compliments. It's not just about is Jay Lamar a better running back than Jeremiah Love? Yeah, I think he is. Is but is he but is that the right fit for what you're for putting your quarter your running back depth chart together? That's a different question. And so who do I prefer if I'm doing a, a top 250 ranking? Probably gonna have Jay Lamar ranked higher. If I'm talking about putting my recruiting class together. I would right now, right now, lean towards Jeremiah Love, unless unless Jaden Lamar can go out and show me on film on film that he can play to that level of explosiveness that he showed at the camp. Because I don't really care about what your track time is. I care about does that track time translate to the football field? Sure. And that's like that's what makes Chris Tyree special. Is yes, he's an elite track guy, but he also shows that on the field. And mm-hmm. that's what you ultimately that's what you look for. Chris Ayer says, would you say that Dante Moore to LSU has no chance, especially with that room currently and the future? I don't think the room currently has a lot of impact because I think Jaden Daniels is most likely leaving after this year. He's already played three years. I think Mm -hmm. he's going to LSU to play one year and bounce. That's the plan. Doesn't mean it'll happen. And if Miles Brennan's not starting this year, he's not going to stick around, I would imagine, for the next year. So, uh, But none of that has anything to do with why Dante Moore is not going to LSU. (laughs) I was about to say, yeah, we, we can, we can uh, pick apart the depth chart, but I, I can firmly say that Dante Moore will not be playing football for LSU. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. not happening. Not happening. All right. Let's kind of work through some of these other ones. These are some good questions in here. Uh, Terry Washman, real quick, does blue does Notre Dame have wheelchair seating for the blue-gold game? I believe they always have wheelchair seating. So I, I do believe that they have that. I, I, I'd have to go kind of look. I, I've seen those sections. I believe that's true. But I honestly can't say for sure uh, that they have good wheelchair seating. I, I would say open it up to kind of other people in the chat. If you've been to a game or if you've ever had somebody be in a wheelchair, uh, if you could answer that question for Terry, I'd really appreciate it. Because I am I believe I've seen wheelchair seating, but I can't tell you with 100% certainty that that is the case. I would imagine that they kind of don't. Don't you have to? Is Don't, don't you have to have wheelchair seating? I would imagine there's got to be some kind of law. Yeah, there has to be a law. You have to be obligated to. Right. right? I think so. Yeah. Now, I, I will say this, Terry. There are ramps to get to the upper level. So it's not like there's elevators and ramps. So it's not like you have to go upstairs or an escalator. There are, there are like, you know, inclined ramps that you can kind of go up. So at least getting up there is not a problem. And I just don't know if I, – I can't say for certain that there is. Um, or Irish Marine 51 says, how do you rate the offensive backfield? We'll stick with the 1 to 10 scale. What is it yeah. now and what do you think it can be – you know, when it reaches, reaches its peak. I I would say that I would give it a six to start because there is a lot of talent. It is unproven for the most part. Like we've seen spurts of Chris Tyree. We've seen spurts of Logan Diggs. We even saw flashes of Audric Estime in the one 
game that he played last year. So I do think that the that it is a solid baseline because I think that they all fit together very well. Because I also think mm-hmm. that Chris Tyree is that dynamic speed type of back. You can do a little bit of everything with him working in space. Logan Diggs is a little more of a traditional player. And then Audric Estime is a big physical back that also has better feet than people give him, give him credit for as well. So I think they fit together really well. I think the baseline is great. And I think that long-term, eight – like it's not positive. I mean, yeah. I think they could be one of the better yeah. offensive backfields in college football if they utilize yeah. them correctly. Yeah. Eight to me means you're a top 10 group. That's how I, this is my, in my head, that's how I view it. So as we talk about the offensive line, eight to me is it's top 10. Nine is more top five. 10 is you're just, I mean, you're, you know, you, you, nine is top five, maybe even the best of that particular year. Uh, I think eight is that's six and eight, six, eight right now based. Cause again, at some point in time, you have to look and say, Hey guys, I love the talent, but they got to show it to me now. I mean, that's we, we've got. If if we aren't telling you those things, and we're just we're just fanboys out here doing a show, right? And that's not us. Like we have we're, look can, can be super talented. Everything Ryan said is true, but they got to now they got to go show it, right? And then I would also throw out there and say, um, I would also go out there and, and say that Jadarian Price is part of that conversation too. He's really really good football player. Um, so uh, excited about him, but yeah, six is where they are now. I think there'll be eight by the time we get to the season and they start being able to go out and prove it, which, which is Ryan and I, did you shake your head? Yes. When I said eight, is that as a grade of basically a top 10 caliber, like yeah. a top 10 backfield. And that's where I expect mm-hmm. them to be. I also think having a guy like Tyler Buckner is going to help them this year as well. Cause I mean, we Absolutely. saw it last year, I think I was talking to somebody the other day, something like they said, like they're. Their average yards per carry on inside zone when Tyler Buckner was a game was something like eight yards a carry. That's insane. It was like six when Quentin yeah. in 2017. Like that, that's insane. And that's a phenomenal number. And you're going to see big plays like that with those guys. And then we're going to have the plays like we saw against Toledo where Buckner's kind of running around. Defense gets sucked up and he flicks it over top to Chris Tyree and he runs 55 yards for a touchdown. We're going to see that kind of stuff too more with a guy like. Tyler Buckner quarterback. So that adds to it as well. And if you're going to throw the whole back offensive backfield in it, which, you know, you could take that as like also the quarterback. I think that adds to my feeling. It's going to be an eight because of you add that dimension of Tyler Buckner as part of that backfield as well. Speaking of quarterbacks, Quinn Kibler asks, is Avery Davis or Ron Pulse the third more likely to take a snap in 2022 at quarterback? I would say I'm hoping Avery Davis because I still want to see my Avery Davis package. I want to see at least one snap of the Avery Davis package. Okay, Coach Reese, you got to give it to me, man. One snap, right? No, one series. You got to give me one series with Avery Davis and as a Wildcat quarterback. I need to see. I don't care if you do it against Marshall, right? You just got to give the defense something to think about, and you got to make me happy and give me that Chris Tyree. So what's your answer to that question, Ryan? (laughs) I, I I don't I don't like being this person, but I probably do a push here. I, I don't I'm not very confident that either is going to touch the football as a quarterback this year. So unfortunately, I'm not being a true optimistic, I guess here. But yeah, yeah I, I'd say I want I want to see the wildcat package because I count that as quarterback. Wildcat package counts as quarterback for me. Okay, now if the question is, is he going to line up and he is the quarterback? Because <laughs> some bad stuff went down. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, no. That's not going to happen. Emergency quarterback. You know? Yeah. Benji, do you see Chris Tyree staying for three more years or just two more years? I think if the O-line is as good as I think it will be, he's gone. He's going to have a breakout year this year. I think Chris Tyree will stay for his four years of eligibility, barring him just having a monster season this year. Because the thing you got to understand about Chris Tyree and his family, that is a very academic-oriented family. And if Chris Tyree has a monster year this year, there's going to be the NFL conversation. 
And then there's going to be the graduation conversation. And that's going to be, that's going to carry a lot of weight in the Tyree household. If you're not guaranteed to be a high pick, because the thing is, he doesn't have a ton of wear and tear on his body. Like the thing about Kyron Williams, Kyron Williams had two back-to-back years of a lot of touches, right? Chris Tyree has zero years with a lot of touches, right? And so I think that factors in as well. But, I mean, he's got a younger brother who's a 2020 – I think he's got two 2024 brothers. I don't know if they're like twins or what. But, like, I've seen more tweets from his dad about their GPAs than their talent and they're they're good young players that's just the kind of family that the Tyrese are like that's part of the reason he's at Notre Dame is they are very much a yes football is important but football is going to be gone someday and what are you going to have with it so I think that would be a different conversation than you're going to see from most backs that were like top 100 players coming to high school Chris is a different cat in that regards uh, and if you ever talk to him you're like oh yeah this kid's different this kid's smart this kid's like he's just not like your typical skill player. Uh, and, and that's why I think that conversation might be a little bit, a little bit, uh, a little bit different in that regards. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment. Every time they see it, blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Irish Mean 51, will Coach Freeman use a run-and-gun offense? Will he be more of an up-tempo coach when you are uh, on top of a team? Do you put your foot on your throat and finish them or play conservative? Uh, number one, I have no clue. We haven't seen him really do that. Uh, I think from the bowl game, I think we're going to see him say, Tommy, go do what you do. I think what Coach Freeman wants is an offense that's efficient and scores and is explosive. I think he, he understands as a defensive coordinator, especially – He's going to have to understand as a defensive coordinator because the mistake you see from offensive coordinators, that the defensive coordinators that fail as head coaches are guys that think that you need to go out and win a bunch of 17 to 14 games, right? That's one of the reasons I think Vic Fangio failed in Denver. Like, no, like the, the guys that have, I mean, if you think about Pete Carroll's a defensive guy, but why'd they win at USC? They had great offenses, right? <laughs> Uh, Bill Belichick had great offenses during his time. Now they had very good defenses too. It doesn't mean that you sacrifice defense to be great on offense, but it's it's a it's a you understand like you got to score right. You've got to go out and score, and so he understands that. Now does that mean he wants to turn it over eighteen times in order to score? No, but I think they're going to be a, they're going to be a very pro style team that is going to be efficient and explosive is the goal. I don't think he cares about run and gun or air raid or spread or pro style. I don't think he really has necessarily a belief on what that needs to be. I think he cares more about the end result is what I think he cares more about. Uh, That would be my answer. Ryan, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, no. I mean, the first thing that caught my attention was will coach Freeman use a runner gun? I don't think coach Freeman's going to use anything, right? Like I think that Mm -hmm. 
unlocking Tommy to see what he has up his sleeve, right? Like you saw it a little bit in the bowl game and things I thought opened up a little bit, at least from a passing game perspective. So I think this is a the year that Tommy Reese shows exactly what his offensive identity is. And I think that Coach Freeman is not going to micromanage that. I think he's going to mm-hmm. embrace that and let him open it up. Mm-hmm. Last four, and then we're going to get out of here. Uh, 99 problems of BK ain't one. My man thoughts on this comp for Tyler Buckner, Dak Prescott of Mississippi state. Dak surprised a lot of people who thought he was a run pass college QB type of prospect with limited passing potential. I don't know if I necessarily thought that of Dak coming out of high school, out of college. I, I kind of like Dak and, and put, he put up pretty good numbers. So, um, uh, what are your thoughts on that? I, I, I don't like that comp because I think they're completely different type of athletes. Dak is a big, strong guy that ran power. When he ran, he was like a, like he was a power guy. Tyler's more quick, power, agile, man. speed. Yeah. I, I don't I don't see the comp. I think where you could have a comp maybe is their impact, their run throw mm-hmm. impact, maybe. Uh, yeah. but I love Dak as a college. I mean, forget the NFL. I, I'm not an NFL guy. I thought Dak was a really good college quarterback. And if Tyler Buckner has the impact that Dak Prescott had, because here's the thing about Tyler, he's gonna have way better players around him. Than Dak Prescott had at Mississippi State. On at every, I mean, they had their players here and there, but as a whole, the team is going to be a lot better. But Dak was, I mean, he had Mississippi State ranked number one at one point in time <laughs> during his tenure. Like he was that's legit. When, he was legit. Dan, that's when Dan Mullen was the man, right? That's uh, right, right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, I, I, I like the comparison from the run pass as well. I also think that they both have like pretty thick frames. I think Dak's a little bit taller, but like I get the comp. I see where it's coming. And then, I mean, Dak was a nice athlete. I agree that he's much mm-hmm. more power oriented than he is like quick twitch. Like you're not going to run like quarterback off tackle, right? A time with Dak Prescott, but you'll do that with Tyler Buckner because he can right. get to the edge and he can make it pay. So, um, so I see it to a degree, but I, I don't think that it's perfect. But it, I will say this, 99 Problems, but BK1, I think it is better than some of the comps we've gotten about the time. Yes. So yes. kudos to you, sir. Yes. yes. Connor O'Doherty, with an improved offensive line, could Chris Tyree become a top 10 back in the nation this year if he gets enough touches? Sure. Yeah. Why not? I mean, I, I don't well, know. Top, if top 10. Top 10 in terms of what, though? I guess that's right. my question. Like, top 10 as far as, like, guys that you do not want to face? Yes. Right. That, opinion. yeah, impact, danger, fear, yes. Production-wise, I don't think so because I don't I don't think he's going to get enough touches. And, and I don't think Chris Tyree getting that number of touches is necessarily the best thing for his game. I think he's going to be a guy that just is an is is if the line is what we think it's going to be, and if they use him the way that they need to use him, I think he's that kind of guy that you're like, guys, you have to have a Chris Tyree plan. You have to, and that's what I that's why that like Ryan to me that's part of the reason I'm so optimistic optimistic about this team is who do you stop if but because it all comes down to the line like last year you didn't have that problem because you could stop Kyron by stopping the line like just. That was the reality, right? You could take Kyron out of the game by just beating up the line. I mean, that, that that's we saw that so many times last year. I don't think you can do that as much with Chris Tyree because he's such more a, such a more explosive player. If the line improves, and we saw that in the bowl game, they completely took him out of the run game, but he showed he can still be a home run guy in the pass game. And Kyron brought obviously pass game ability as well. But like, if the line's better, I mean, Chris Tyree's a, a home run every time he touches the ball. Potential every time he touches. you have to you have to plan for that. But then you've got Michael Mayer, and then you've got, you know, if they use Braden Lindsey correctly. No, think about this. You, you, you have a play, and you've got Tyler Buckner quarterback with his ability. you got Chris Tyree at running back. 
We've got Michael Mayer flexed out to the right with Dion Colsey to the left and Braden Lindsay over there, right? Or, you know, I mean, and, and then you've got, so that's a tight end running back. You've, and then you've got Avery Davis or, or Lorenzo Styles outside in the trips look. You bring oh. Braden Lindsay on a jet motion and you've got him going on a jet, which is dangerous. You've got read zone action where you've got to determine between Tyler Buckner and Chris Tyree and you got to deal with all that. Oh, and by the way, they're running an RPO. So if you fly down, he's going to pull the ball and throw it outside to Lorenzo Styles or Michael Mayer. Right, like, you, you, like, how do you defend? How do you take all those guys out of the game if they are the players we think they can be? Right, and and I didn't even mention Avery Davis. I didn't mention being in twenty personnel with Logan Diggs. I, I accidentally said Deion Colsey, but I meant to say Lorenzo Styles. I mean, that's why I'm excited about this team. Is if the line plays to its potential, it's kind of like who do you who do you take out? You're gonna take you're gonna folk you're gonna take out Michael Mayer until Chris Tyree was like that was dumb. You know what I mean? And and then you focus on him and then Lorenzo Styles is like, oh, you forgot about me, you know? And that's what makes, that's what made that 2015 team kind of dangerous. And and this unit even more has, like this team doesn't have a Will Fuller. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. But the the option, like Chris Brown and Amir Carlisle were good players. Like Mm -hmm. the tight end wasn't, I mean, Alizé Jones as a freshman was not close to what, Michael Mayer will be as a junior. Absolutely. The running backs are every bit as explosive as that 15 group was because of Chris Tyree. But the depth of impact players receiver is greater than it was in 2015, in my opinion. You had Will Fuller, Chris Brown, Amir Carlisle. Now you've got Lorenzo Styles, you've got Braden Lindsay, you've got Avery Davis, you've got Deion Colsey. You've, I mean, it just and you got Michael Mayer. I just that's what's exciting about this team, Ryan, is there's a lot of weapons, and it's just gonna be like a who who all do you take out of the game? And how many of them can you actually take out of the game? But it all boils down to that first one. It's a lot easier to take athletes out of the game when you're beating up the offensive line. And sure. I don't think that's going to happen this year like it did. I don't know. What are your thoughts, Ryan? No, I I, I, I mean, I was kind of alluding to it, right? Like, I think that when you say top 10 back, I mean, fundamentally speaking, maybe not, but like top 10 weapon, I can get there with that because mm-hmm. I think, again, you, you I mean, you said it. Chris Tyree is a threat to take it to the house every single time he touches the football. It's just based upon his speed with an improved offensive line play. And then, like you said, like you can't just gravitate all the attention towards Michael Mayer all the time. Like that's going to be your first mm-hmm. priorities to stop him, obviously, for what he's coming back. But then you're going to leave guys like Lorenzo Styles and Deion Colsey and Braden Lindsay and all these guys in one-on-one situations. And eventually they're going to take advantage of it, ideally. Right. So mm-hmm. then I think that I think that you're just not going to put enough attention on a guy like a Chris Tyree. And if the offensive line's improved, I think he could break off a lot of big yeah. runs. And I think that he can be that top 10 weapon in the country because right. that's you can't you can't quantify how important that speed is, man. Like right. this guy is like one of those dudes where if you're if you're a defense and you're just one gap short, your gap integrity is not great on one play. You're giving up an 80-yard touchdown. Like that is just the mm-hmm. facts of it. So that's just what makes it such a difficult player to stop if everything's rolling right. Last two, Terry Howe. Is it possible that two freshmen start on the offensive line? Terry, is it possible? Sure, it's possible, but it would have to require some stuff to go wrong. It, it's not going to be two guys just win jobs, in my opinion. Uh, right. It would have to be, and if that happens, it's because some dudes just like, I mean three of the guys we expect start just did nothing but sit in their dorms and drink beers all spring and summer. I mean, that that's, that's just because there's such an age difference and, and the talent is good in the freshman class, but it's not to the level where 
they're just going to come in and pass up Rocco and Kristoffic and Lug and all those guys day one. I just don't see it. There'd have to be injuries. Now, if there's injuries, sure. Because here's the reality. For two freshmen to start, there's only two positions that are going to be basically open. Right? right? The tackles are locked down. The center's locked down, and barring injury. So there's so they'd have to win both win both of the guard jobs. So the only way I see two freshmen starting, it'd be both guards, and it would mean there'd have to be, to me, a, a, a rash of injuries, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, if, if there have to be absolutely have to be a rash if we're talking about two true freshmen. Now, if you want to count Rocco Spindler and Blake Fisher as redshirt freshmen into this equation, then sure. Like they, I mean, if Rocco Spindler wins an offensive guard spot, and obviously Blake Fisher is going to play playing somewhere on the offensive line. So in that situation, right. sure. But if we're talking about true freshmen, I, I don't, I just don't see that happening. Right. And here, here's the response to me naming all those players. David Duve says, and then Tobias Merriweather says hello. You're absolutely fair. right. Fair. He's fair. absolutely right. I mean, who was my number one ranked offensive player in last year's class? That's what gets exciting about it, right? And you know, it, it's it's a it's a fun problem to have. We actually do have another one I want to get to before the last one. Just quickly, Guinea Pig Clips is how fast are Diggs estimating price? Tyree's a home run hitter, but I don't know if those guys are. Price is the other two are not. Yes, but you don't have yeah. to be home. Look. Kyron Williams had a 90 plus yard touchdown run this year, right? You don't have to be, a, and he ran a four, what, four, six, five, four, seven at the combine, yeah. right? Uh-huh. Those guys are plenty fast enough when you have holes to hit big plays. Dexter Williams is a four, five, eight guy, right? And that's the thing is when you've got, uh, when you've got the angle and you've got blocked lines and you've got good downfield blocking, you can rip off home runs. But as far as like a home run hitter, like when I define home, look, any of the running backs can take, can hit a home run. Kyron sure. Williams had a 91 yard home run last year. He's not a home run hitter. Right. Like they can hit home runs as far as when I say home run hitter. So I'm going to take his question to mean who are the guys that every time they touch the ball, they're a threat where you got to worry about this is going to go the distance. I think it's it's Tyree and Price are the two that I think have that ability, in my opinion. Yeah, I I always quantify it as who are the guys that can break angles. Right. Like that is my biggest thing. And Chris Tyree sure can break angles. I think Janarian Price can break angles. I think that Estime and Diggs, I mean, like they have both have acceleration and they're both explosive kids, but they're mm-hmm. not guys that I think racing towards the sideline are just going to r- just run by a guy consistently, right? right? So that's where I kind of that's right. where I kind of quantify home run hitter versus just a guy that has good right. speed or a guy that has they can rip speed. off home runs because your receivers did their job downfield and that safety's not exactly. coming from behind to catch them. Right. Exactly. That that's the difference. It's like that's how Tony Jones can rip off an 80 some yard touchdown run against Iowa State. It's how Kyron Williams would go 91 against North Carolina. Whereas Josh Josh uh Dexter was even though he wouldn't have a great 40 time, Dexter was an explosive player, even though he didn't have a great 40 time. But Dexter no. and Josh Adams and Chris Tyree and Jadarian Price, to your point, have that speed to where you think you have it, but you don't. And then you don't, and then you don't. And, <laughs> and that's the difference. And and Dexter and Tyree even more so than, than than Josh because Josh was a guy that was more of a he needed to get going a little bit to get that speed. Josh wasn't a guy that was going to outrun the edge as much. Josh was more of a he's going to stretch, stretch, stretch. As soon as that hole opens up, he's gone. He's a, he's a flying 20. He's not an instant separation yeah, guy. Like right. that, that second 20 yards yeah. in the 40, like that's where he that's is. That's right. right. Where I, I still don't know if anyone's had anyone that in the last – 15 years, Notre Dame, I don't think, has had a back with a better first step than Dexter Williams. I mean, he didn't have the long speed, right? He was a, he, if he was a four, five, eight, he was a four, five, eight out of a stance where Josh, Josh, uh, Adams was a four, four, eight, but he was a four, eight coming out of a stance. The four, four, eight didn't come until he got downfield. Chris Tyree is probably the closest thing we've seen to that, but 
and I'm curious to see kind of how that manifests this year is the thing I'm really curious to see now that he's got some time under spell. And then the last question, this is a good one to end on. I've been saving this one for the end from Connor O'Doherty. Who do you guys think are the three most talented players on offense and defense? So the way that I want to take this, because we could take this so many angles, we could do a show out of this. Let's talk about talent for 2022, which means you have to take into consideration development, experience, and age, right? So, Mm -hmm. you know, if we're talking about three most talented offensive linemen, if we're talking about if they all reach their full potential, we could talk about Emil Wagner, but he ain't going to be that guy in 2022, we don't think, right? So for 2022, who do you think are the three most talented players on offense and who are the Mm -hmm. three on defense? Let's start with offense, Ryan. Give me your three most talented players. I have a pretty good idea on who mine are, and it's not easy. It's not easy to to, to come up with those. I I would say Blake Fisher is definitely one. I would say that – Tyler Buckner's two for mm-hmm. me. And I would say Michael Mayer, even though I mm-hmm. think somebody would push back on that one. But I think for when you're talking about him coming into the NFL, this kid could be a generational type of, type of two-way tight end. So that would be my three, I think. That's my three, which again speaks volumes about how talented this team could be because there's no Chris Tyree in our top three. There's no Lorenzo Styles in our top three. There's a lot of teams in the country that those two guys are in their top three. <laughs> You yeah, know what I mean? Absolutely. And no, those three are my three. Uh, and, and Blake, as far as ten, Blake's one, uh, I'd say Mayer's probably two right now and Buckner's three. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think because Buckner still is young, that youth is going to somewhat tamp down his ultimate potential, but I think he's going to be dynamic this year. The three on defense, I think, are probably pretty easy as well. Uh, mm-hmm. You're three on defense. I think we're going to have the same on on there. Uh, there's one potential difference on defense that we may have. I'm very curious to see about that, and I and I think I know who it who it might be. But I think we also might still have the same three. So give me your give me your three on defense. I, th- I think we are going to have a different one here. Um, Isaiah Foskey is one. Uh-huh. Number two would be Cam Hart. Uh huh. So far, so good. This is where I I know who the difference is going to be. Number three, I would go at Maris Loifau. I would. Yep. <laughs> I would, I would, I would. I'm going Jason Adamiola, but yeah. That's fair. That's fair. And I I think that Jason, I mean, baseline is much higher than Amaris because, like, you still need to Uh kind of see it, right? Right. But I think if Amaris hits his potential, man, and I think that he potentially can in 2022, I think we're talking about a special linebacker. That's just a good linebacker because I think he is long, athletic, and can run. So that that would be my guy, I think, as my breakout Mm -hmm. dude because – I mean, you, I mean, if you're talking long-term, then obviously you're bringing in like the Jalen Sneeds and those types sure. of conversations. But for sure. 2022, 2022, I think, right. I think Maris, I think Maris could be special this year. I really yeah. do. I think he's got a chance. I think he's got a chance, but I'm still in the, I got to see it mode. But I also think that I think Jason Adamiola is really good. I think he's really he good, uh, but sure. he's also a guy that I need to see him. He's the one guy to me on defense that I'm like, he was so good last year, but I, it doesn't always show up in the production. The thing mm-hmm. for me this year that could separate whether you're correct or – I mean, that's not correct, but I mean, we have our opinions. But whether your answer looks correct or mine looks correct is going to be – he's going to have to start turning that talent into more more production. Because mm-hmm. I do think Maris is going to produce – I think Maris is going to have 10 tackles for loss at least. He's going to – he's to me going to be a double-digit tackle for loss guy. I mean, yeah. one of the things in the intel piece I had today, Ryan, that – I would encourage you guys to sign up for the board because there's a lot of intel on the defense. Not It wasn't quite as juicy as the offensive one, but there's some good stuff in there. But the source mm-hmm. I talked to today said when he got hurt, he was our best pass rusher. Uh, it's like, 
wasn't at, he was he didn't say best pass rushing linebacker. He said it was our pass best rusher. pass rusher. Mm-hmm. Right? So he could have a big numbers. And if Jason's going to be that top three guy, he's got to start turning that. He's got to kind of have a Sheldon Day type of season as well, in my sure. opinion. And so I, I think he's he's got a chance to prove a whole lot. And somebody said no Brandon Joseph. Uh, I mean, can, I'll, can I'll bring, I comment bring, on that? Yeah, so he said I, no Brandon I, Joseph. Some people are saying he could be a first-round pick. Yeah, I mean, so there's no bigger Brandon Joseph fan than I am in here, right? I, if you ask me – who is the three best players? I might say Brandon Joseph in that conversation, but you're asking me who has the highest upside, right? Like most, who has the most talent, right? Right. That's where the conversation starts, uh, tra- changes a little bit because I think Brandon Joseph is a good talent, but I think his, his mental side of his game is what makes him a really good football player. Right. And I think the ball skills are what makes him a really good football player. So I could see those players, Cam Hart, Maris Loyfell, and Isaiah Foskey just being a little more high quality of an athlete at their position. But I do think that Brandon Joseph, there's a very fair world where he could be one of your three best pl- the defenders sure. in 2022. Sure. Three best, not necessarily the three most talented. And that's the difference uh, to the question. Now, it's also the same reason either of us thought about putting Jarrett Patterson in our top three on offense. Sure. He could end up being your best offensive player this year, or at least second best offensive player this year. Mm-hmm. Maybe your second best, you know, your maybe your second highest drafted offensive player that next year doesn't make him as most talented and that's the difference right so that's where we get into it but the fact that we can say that and immediately people are like wait well, hold on a second what about this guy but what about what about that guy well what about this guy over here i think it's like yeah it's good that's a good that's where you want to be you know that's yep. where you kind of want to be i knew you were going to go with maris too as soon as i as soon as i said i was like i think we might be on the same page but if we aren't i know who your third's going to be yeah. uh, ryan has been on the maris train For since years now. I, think, I think it was where you really jumped on, it was actually, if I remember correctly, you were breaking down the Bama Al- film. Al- Alabama game. Yeah. Yep, 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 and yep, just yep. like, this dude runs like those dudes run. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. Like, he made there, some there mistakes, was, but athletically, yeah. it's like, oh, wow. There, there's, there were so many speed deficiencies on that field, comparative to Alabama, but Maris was not one of a man. He was moving in that game, and he was, I mean, he plays hard, and he hits, and I'm just like, mm-hmm. there's development obviously the eyes need to get better the diagnostic skills need to get better but like mm-hmm. baseline athleticism there is a lot there yeah that was a fun question I, I i like ending on questions like that that was a lot of fun so that's gonna be it for us today but hey as it shows down there hit that like button hit the subscribe button hit the notification bell share this podcast if you're listening via a podcast give us a five-star review we'd appreciate that very much and i'm telling you all if you aren't signed up for the boards you're missing out and hey listen as far as i know they still have Con product left uh built bar for 30 it's either a 36 hour sale or until supplies last it started at midnight mountain time last night they're selling rocky road again so i went ahead when i woke up this morning literally the first this is true story this isn't an advertisement this is a true story the first thing i did this morning when i got on my phone is i went and ordered two boxes of the rocky road built bars Best protein bars in the business. I'd been saying for a while that I hadn't bought a candy bar since I started Built Bar. When I was in Virginia last week, I was out hanging my nephew. and we, He wanted to get candy bars. So I got a candy bar, got a Twix bar, which I love. And I was like, nope, it's not the same. I got to go get me some Built Bars. So you're definitely, definitely, definitely going to want to check that out. So it's going to, but it's a 36-hour sale. So we're going to tomorrow or until supplies last. Uh, and that is the Built Bar. If you use the Irish Breakdown promo code, you get 10% off your entire purchase. I want to make this clear too. It's not a one-time deal. So like the merch store, we give you that one-time deal. 
You sign up, you get a 10% or 20% discount, and it's for a one-time purchase. The Built Bar things are for any time you order Built Bars, you get 10% off your entire purchase if you use the Irish Breakdown promo code. So you're definitely going to want to check that out as well. So, um, And, of course, sign up for the message board. We had three or four people sign up during the show. I always love it when that happens. But keep signing up. Got tons of good intel. Got offensive intel, defensive intel, recruiting intel. We've had so many the last 48 hours. It's just been what, like seven or eight different recruiting intel updates going on. So. We're going to continue those. So if you're not on the message board, y'all, I'm telling you, you're you're definitely missing out. So definitely check that out. And, of course, tonight, 8 p.m., we're going to have a live show at 8 p.m. It's going to be me and Troy Pride, former Notre Dame cornerback Troy Pride. We're going to kind of get an update on what's the latest with him. Obviously, he's coming back from an injury last season. He's got a rehab. He's going to talk to us about you know his rehab, his comeback. He's going to talk about some things he's got going on in his career, sort of off the field. And we're going to talk cornerback play, and we're going to talk about Notre Dame. We'll get into some of his time at Notre Dame and, and kind of his thoughts on how things are going at Notre Dame, too. So definitely want to check that out tonight at 8 o'clock. So, uh, Ryan, thanks so much for joining us for the Q&A. Obviously, Vince was here talking O-line play. And thank all of you for joining the Irish Breakdown Podcast. <laughs>